It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. It's e-learning where I live in Minneapolis. Not a snow day. Uh, E-learning, that's what we do here in Minneapolis, our two elementary school age kids. Um, not a, not a, not an official snow day with, with everything that's going on. They'll be learning from home today. And I'll be working from home, giving you the best podcasts I possibly can. Good show coming up today. Chris Hine covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. He'll be with me here in just a little bit to talk about everything that's been going on with that team and leading into tonight's game against uh, Portland, which is Pride Night, also at Target Center. So a lot of good conversations with Chris coming up here in just a little bit. Um, Got to get to some uh, in- injury concerns with the Vikings. The Brian O'Neill injury became officially more serious when he went on injured reserve on Tuesday. I've got some thoughts on that. Got a Gophers basketball thought as well. They lost to Wisconsin by three last night. First, though, what did I miss? You know, Remember way back when in mid-December, almost a couple, almost two full weeks before Christmas, when you woke up disappointed that uh, that Carlos Correa was signing a mega deal with the Giants. 13 years, $350 million, blew the Twins out of the water. Twins' best reported offer being 10 years, $285 million. And he just said, well, I guess it just wasn't in the cards. They weren't going to get him or they didn't get him. Life goes on. Let's see what happens the rest of this offseason. Then it just kind of like went along for a little while, nothing official. And then the Giants postponed the the, uh, the, the news conference to introduce Correa. And then it comes to pass that they had medical concerns. The deal falls apart. And about a week after that, I think right around December 21st, right around the winter solstice, if you are uh, if you're scoring at home, Correa agrees to a different deal with the Mets. 12 years, 315 million dollars in that case. And now, you might have noticed that it is now January 4th, and Carlos Correa still has not officially signed with the Mets either. We're talking 3 Weeks after the Giants deal came to pass, two weeks after he flip-flopped to the Mets, still nothing official. What is going on here? Well, what's going on is it sounds like the Mets still have a lot of the same concerns that the Giants had, and just looking at looking at some of the reporting lately, the Athletics Ken Rosenthal reporting that the terms of his contract will look, quote, dramatically different once everything is official and that it's not going to be 12 years 315 million dollars guaranteed so this is just a this is becoming bizarre why why is this happening after all of the the terms are negotiated why is this happening after the fact what is there in this injury history specifically to his ankle from this injury that happened several years ago that is causing all the holdups um did the twins um, did the Twins know about all this? Would they have had similar concerns? Is this why they only were going to only quote unquote do ten years? Did they? Is it a good thing they didn't end up signing him? If there's enough red flags now from two teams to uh, to to make this to make this a reality, I don't know. I just find it very strange that we're now three weeks into this thing and Correa still hasn't officially signed. Not a great sign for him. Not a great sign for the Mets. I'm sure. This will get resolved eventually. I mean, Correa has been relatively healthy 
when he's been on the you know on the field the last few years, but there obviously are these concerns. So wondering when this is going to get resolved because this is a, this is hanging out there now. It is now 2023. This is something that should have been resolved a few weeks ago, and it's still hanging out there right now. Like I said at the jump, Gophers men's basketball team loses by three at Wisconsin, 63-60 on its face. Not a bad outcome, right? The Gophers lose, but you know their first five losses this year to Power 5 opponents had been much more lopsided. They made this one close and competitive against the Badgers, came back from a pretty significant deficit to give themselves a chance at the end. Still, a couple things from this game. One, they still couldn't close. Here's Ben Johnson kind of talking about what undid them in this game. I thought we showed a good resolve and good fight to climb back from 15 on the road. Um, you know, just, again, it's such a possession-type game, especially in this league, and you got to value the ball. And for us, you know, you got 20 turnovers. You put it in a really tough spot to, uh, to pull it out, especially on the road. So... We got to find a way to do a better job, but I, I like the fight. I like the competitiveness. Obviously, we did a pretty good job on the backboards, which we wanted to do, and we had the right mentality there. Um, you know, we just got to we got to be able to execute a little bit better, um, take care of the ball. Those things are certainly true, and the larger point that I would make right now is this game was not very high up there on my radar in terms of what was going on yesterday I did I did know that they were playing the Badgers but it wasn't like one of those things where it's like I got to sit down and make this appointment viewing I've got to make sure I'm paying attention to this game and that's kind of sad right um that that's kind of a sad place for this program to be that a game against your rival um you know early in the Big 10 season does not you know does not rise to the level of must see TV at least in my at least in my estimation and I, maybe you felt differently maybe you watched this game maybe you're keenly attuned to what's going on early in the Ben Johnson tenure but right now for me I'm still kind of uh I'm, I'm vaguely curious um I want to see where this thing is headed but um I, I don't think we've seen enough evidence of anything good going on yet to uh, to make me think this is appointment viewing so that's a dangerous spot for a program to be and again this is just my this is just my feeling on it right now this is not necessarily reflective of how everybody else feels but my own personal feeling on this team right now is that they are not very not very front brain for me let me just put it that way they're they're buried pretty far on my sports depth chart right now and I don't know exactly what it will take to get out front a little bit more except maybe for a few more victories or maybe at least a few more performances like they had Tuesday night at Wisconsin where they got close and it felt like maybe some things are starting to fall into place Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Good to have Chris Hine back on Daily Delivery. First time in 2023, but an often 2022-2021 guest on this show. Um, Chris, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, trying to cut down on background noise here. I've told Chris we've got a, a sick a sick three-year-old home today, so we're trying to minimize the uh, minimize any of the distractions but we're doing all right he's uh he's 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 not too he's not in too bad a shape he's he kind of knows the drill 
as best he can. So Chris, let's, <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about the Timberwolves six game losing streak, including that ugly loss on new year's Eve to Detroit. Then they win um, on Monday against the best team in the West, Denver again, Denver coming off a of back-to-back. So, you know, take that for whatever it's worth, but a lot of key players out of the lineup and still they managed to win that game. First, take me through the six game losing streak and kind of what, you know, when, where, where frustration brought them to. Yeah, I think almost anything that could go wrong did in that six game losing streak. Um, the, the thing that I have always harped on with this team, um, I wrote about it during the six game losing streak um, is rebounding. And I think it showed up in a, a major way, uh, just their inability to get rebounds, especially in second halves, late and close games. And it really is, to me, more of an effort thing than a scheme game plan kind of thing. If you want to go get a ball, just go get it. You know, that that fourth quarter of the Detroit game was it was a great example of that, where it, I think if you just put a little more effort into going and getting some of these rebounds, you will get them. Um, so it was it's my biggest issue with this team. It's not even an issue that is necessarily because of the Rudy Gobert trade, because this was a problem for them last year. And it's been a problem for some of the the tertiary guys on the roster, some of the bench guys, rotation guys, and some of the and the guards who don't want to rebound after these long rebounds. So I think that was the number one issue with this team. But it, it also speaks to the level of effort and intensity and urgency that this team has because that that is where that can show up on the floor so they lose to detroit they have this players only meeting uh behind closed doors the locker room took a long time to open up after saturday's game which when you're covering a team is usually an indicator of of a players only type of meeting going on so it took a long time for the locker room to open up you know they they don't they don't reveal specifics as to what's said, which is usually kind of how these things go, but they do talk about all the issues that they need to correct and in a hurry. And they did it on Monday night, you know, but the challenge is always with this team is can they do it consistently? Monday night they did it. You know, they 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 rebounded a lot better. They they had defensive effort and intensity no matter who was on the floor. And look, they were, you know, they're down to players right now that if the rotation was fully healthy, would not be seeing the floor at the moment. Both guys on two-way contracts, Matt Ryan and Luka Garza, were seeing minutes. You don't see that every night in the NBA. So that's the challenge, bottling what they did Monday night and carrying it forward, which has been a challenge for this team. The rebound and effort stuff seems to have mystified Chris Finch quite a bit in the head coach. And there's only so much he can do, but you know, there's some of obviously – Rotation stuff he can do, maybe some some scheme stuff he can probably do. Um, as, as he's addressed that throughout the year, and now they're you know we're almost halfway into the season, they're seventeen and twenty one. Um, do you get the sense that he's just as frustrated about that as everybody else? I think so, and and has been for weeks and months. Um, you know, we ask him about it all the time. It's a frequent topic of conversation, especially after they lose. And it's kind of like a cycle. It's like, it's almost like in some ways we we're asking this, the different versions of the same question and he's giving different versions of the same answer. And 
it just it really just boils down to want to and physicality and effort, which are which are the big things that this that this team tends to miss in, in important moments. Uh, you know, I think back to the New Orleans game and and you know the deciding bucket in that was New Orleans getting an offensive rebound, getting it to Zion, who then gets fouled. Um, Detroit had that one possession where they had three offensive rebounds on, on one possession and the whole crowd started booing in the middle of the possession, which I have never seen before. Um, right. so it, it's, that is, that just speaks to the core of this team. And if this team is going to recover, um, because honestly, if they just rebound a little bit better and a lot of their losses this year, they probably win at least half of those games. Um, but they can't and they didn't. So they got to improve it going forward. It, it's strange on nights when they shoot like 50% or 53, 54% and they're losing by eight or 10 points because they've given the other team like 20 more shot attempts. Uh, it, it's, it's absurd. It, it's, it's the, the biggest problem that they have to correct in the second half of the season. Now, Rudy Gobert was supposed to help with some of this, but obviously the problems have run a lot deeper than him, and even his numbers um, haven't really trended upward in the rebounding department. Even Monday night, he didn't have that that much of a of an impact rebounding, even if he is a, a big body in there. There's been a lot of hot takes about the Gobert trade, um, obviously, especially in the midst of the six-game losing streak, especially when you know there was, there's been some frustration, some frustrating moments. Where do you think they stand right now as an organization as they think about how to maximize this, how to how to take this and and make it work uh, to the best of their ability? Do they feel like it's the things around him or do they feel like it's it's him or what or how do you see it? I I think that I haven't really delved too far into this, but just looking from afar and knowing how front offices tend to think they only have 19 games of what the ideal partnership is, is supposed to look like. They only have 19 games of Carl and Rudy on the floor together. So, you know, I'm not sure how much you can draw from the way Rudy has played over this last couple of weeks, um, just because the main partnership has not been playing together. I will say that one theory I have as to why you, you look at the box score and Rudy has like maybe only four or five rebounds on a given night is because in Utah, one of the things that, that Rudy did and that Utah did in Utah was they limited the number of threes that it, uh, opposing teams took. So that eliminates the number of longer rebounds that that go beyond Rudy's grasp out to like that second and third ring of rebounds. Um, that has not happened with the Wolves. They do not limit opponents from shooting threes. So they have more long rebounds. They have more rebounds that Gobert can't get to just because he's under the basket or near the basket and these rebounds are flying over his head. So that's one of the theories I have as to why his rebound numbers are down. It's it's a product of the defense um, that they have played around him because another one of my theories with this team is that with Rudy Gobert, he is not a singular entity unto himself the way that it was kind of billed he would be. 
he needs the people around him to be playing at a high level. He needs defenders to be guarding and rotating around him at a high level. He needs guys on offense to be to be playing at a high level to help get him the ball and ball movement to be happening to where he gets his you know looks in space under the basket. He he cannot necessarily affect a game by himself if the players around him are not also playing at a high level. And that's what we saw in the playoff series where he quote unquote got played off the floor. You can make the argument that it wasn't necessarily Rudy getting played off the floor. It was his teammates playing him off the floor. Um, But that's also, you know, indicative of what you need when you have Rudy Gobert on your team. And if you don't have that effort around him, he himself cannot maximize and, and cover for others mistakes in, in such a way. Speaking of theories, I love conspiracy theories. And when I saw the initial Timberwolves injury report before that Monday game, I it was the usual suspects. And then I thought to myself, huh, they had a players-only meeting. I wonder if there's going to be any surprise additions to this as they maybe create some, uh, some gentlemanly uh, absences in this game as they work through some rotations. And lo and behold... D'Angelo Russell showed up with an illness and didn't play in Monday's game, and they play quite well. Now, that's just my wild conspiracy theory that that was a, a manufactured illness, and they want to see what life looks like without D'Lo because they're probably going to be life without D'Lo at some point here in the very near future, whether it's trade deadline, offseason, whatever it is. Um, whatever whatever it is, wh- how, where do you put him in terms of he's been shooting? He had a really nice streak there where he was shooting well, but obviously defensively he's, he's got some liability. Some effort stuff has been a liability. Where do you think they are with his game right now? My conspiracy theories aside. (laughs) Tough to say. Um, It it really is tough to say because when he's on, he can be really good. And you saw that during early December, mid December uh, when he kind of carried them to a couple of wins he did that last year too, but overall throughout the course of a season. And then you saw it in the playoffs last year, those moments just aren't consistent enough. I don't think. And it's, it's tough to justify the salary when, when those moments aren't coming on a more regular basis. So it's hard to, it's just hard to gauge. It's, It's the number one question moving forward forward in the in the near term i think with with this team is what happens to d'angelo russell is he gone by the deadline is he gone after the season is he back on a you know smaller deal in some way shape or form what happens with him and i don't think we have an answer uh to what's what that's going to be just yet it but i will say that i don't think this year being a contract year anything has brought out anything different in D'Lo or anything that we didn't already know about him. He's going to carry you on some nights, but there are also going to be nights where like Saturday where he plays like 32 minutes and he doesn't get a rebound. So you get what you get. Um, And I think, I do think that he is a, he's a, he's a point guard in the NBA. He's an NBA point guard and that commands, you know, a decent salary. Um, it doesn't command 30 million a year, but he is a starting point guard in the NBA. Somebody will give him some money somewhere. I just don't know how the wolves will handle this situation, whether it'll be them 
that gives that gives him that money at a lower rate than what he's making now? <laughs> or are they going to trade him? It really is the the big question uh, roster wise for the next few months here. Without him in the lineup, Monday we saw a lot of Anthony Edwards being primary primary ball handler, and he, you know, I think Chris Finch talked about it. Anthony Edwards talked about it after the game, like you know, Finch kind of helping him through that. I kind of like point ant it feels like it puts the ball in his hands lets him be creative gets him into the flow both you know on offense and defense is that how how viable is that to you as a as a strategy going forward as a you know not necessarily permanent but but a but him being a primary ball handler yeah i think i think that's where this is trending is is him having the ball in his hands a lot more just because he will attract so much attention when when he has the ball in his hands. They, you know, teams are going to have to send two guys at him, blitz him, do whatever to try and slow him down. And that's just, I think, going to create a lot more opportunities for this offense, uh, given his explosiveness. I think it, it helps when you have a guy like Kyle Anderson out there as well. Um, I think that that alleviates a lot of pressure on it because Kyle Anderson can take over in those moments. Um, and I, I also think that when Russell is in the lineup, it alleviates a lot of pressure on Russell as well to have Ant handling a lot of, of on ball duties. Cause I think Russell can be, can be pretty good when he gets to mix in playing off the ball, a decent amount with his, with playing on the ball. So I think that's where long-term this is kind of where this is headed. Like the offense if for so long, the conversation has been, we need to build around Cat. Uh, you know, the, the Wolves need to build around Cat and his offensive prowess. I think, I think you have to pivot that and say, how do we maximize Ant? And how, eventually, when Carl gets back, how does he fit into that? We had some of those conversations when they had a little three-game winning streak amid all of this losing. Um, where Ant was just playing lights out basketball because he had the ball in his hands a lot. It's like this seems like the future. This seems like the way to go. It's like it's it's Ant as the driving force, the 1A option on offense, not Carl. Um, and so I think moving forward, especially as it relates to Ant's development, you're, you're, you're going to want to see that a lot more in, in the next few months. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's interesting. I mean, and part of what's driving this too is Jordan McLaughlin's been out for a while now. They've been missing Tory and Prince. And of course, you talked about uh, Towns and McLaughlin in, in the context of point guards, but just those kind of longer term injuries that have that have been kind of sitting out there. Are we any closer to clarity? I think I saw that Prince at least was kind of maybe scrimmaging a little bit with with some of the other guys, maybe getting close. But do we have a do we have a, a guess or a gauge on when any of these guys might be back? Yeah, Tory and Prince. Um you know, uh, started, yeah, starting to scrimmage a little bit. So he seems to be kind of ramping up towards making a return, which is, is these these were things he was not doing over the last couple right. of weeks. So that's a positive sign. Um, Jordan McLaughlin was in the locker room yesterday, still in a boot. Um, I think I think he's hopeful that it's not going to be too much longer, but it's a calf injury. And Carl and Jordan are dealing with a calf injury. It's just, it's just, you don't want to put a definitive timetable on it. We saw Jordan have this calf injury, come back for a couple of games, and then re-aggravated it, and now he's been out for the last few weeks here. So they're going to be very careful when he comes back or, or kind of ramping him back up 
but he's still in a boot. Um, so you don't like to see the the dreaded boot. Uh, Carl, yeah. the, the word the word has been for the last couple of times we've asked Finch, still weeks away. Um, again, because of the nature of the injury, hard to pinpoint a return date on that. No, that's fair. It's just uh, you do you start to get that uh, kind of antsiness to see all these things, uh, see all these things play out, especially as they've had this disappointing start to the season. And they've, you know, they've tried to be patient through all of it. And like you said, I think the biggest thing is, can they establish any consistency? And we haven't seen much of that this year. And that was their problem last year for a lot of the time too, until they kind of got things going in the second half of the year. Uh, before I move forward to one other thing I want to ask you about, what's your level of confidence in their ability to sustain some of these good vibes that started on Monday? <laughs> I've covered this team, this team now for five years of, you know, this, this iteration of the Wolves, you know, a lot of the guys that are on this team I've covered for the last three years, a lot of the guys that are seeing minutes now. I don't know. I, I look at the second half last year and I, and I think they have that in them, right? They they have a, a, a run like that in them where they can really ramp up and play well. I, but given given all that they're trying to accomplish and all the pieces that they're trying to make fit together, it it would uh, tamper my optimism in that regard. And just given some of the the issues that keep popping up, the same recurring issues such as transition defense, rebounding, turnovers, there's still issues. They haven't corrected them. Um, over the course of multiple seasons now. So I tend to be more on the skeptical side that they can keep this right moving forward. Prove it mode is a good mode to be in always with the Timberwolves talking with Chris Hine here, beat writer for the Star Tribune covering the Wolves. Last thing, Chris, you've written about this at various points this year, um, the Timberwolves and their relationship with the with with the gay and lesbian bisexual transgender community some issues that have happened with anthony edwards you wrote about um rudy gobert liking something on social media um they have their pride night on wednesday when they play the the trailblazers where where do you think they're at organizationally what are you getting a sense from any fans you've talked to for you know in terms of how they view this organization or where, where do you think they're at right now with with that relationship yeah, I'll have a, a story uh, due um, or will be up by the time people hear this podcast. Um, I think there's a lot of nuance and mixed emotions as to how uh, Wolves fans uh, who are LGBTQ plus are, are, are feeling this year. And I, I think most of it revolves around Ant, um, even uh, given what happened with Rudy a few weeks ago, because Ant was such a is such a, a player that has drawn a well of affection from the fan base. Um, it hit a lot of people really hard when that video came out in September. And I think, I think there's with some time being passed now, I think some of those feelings have faded for people. I think they, they want to like Ant again. They want to root for him, um, especially because he is such a part of their favorite team. Um, there are some people who are still turned off by it. Um, and, you know, I hope uh, if you read the piece that you'll see some of the, the nuance of, of emotion that, that people are feeling because sports 
is one of the areas where LGBTQ people have traditionally not felt welcome, um, even amid the societal changes that have happened uh, for the good in that in that department. It is still one of the areas where they feel the most excluded. And incidents like that tend to just reinforce that feeling of unwelcomeness. And but I do think that there's a lot of there's a lot of want to to want to feel the joy that Anthony Edwards brings to the basketball court. And I think it's been it's been an interesting discussion for people to reconcile. A, a lot of the feelings that they've had. And, and I, I hope that people read the piece with, with open eyes when it comes to seeing people try to talk out and explain what's what they're feeling inside in terms of both realms of their lives. I look forward to reading it. And I, you guys should all go read that as well. Chris Hine, always love having you on the Daily Delivery Podcast. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see if the Wolves can stack another good performance on top of Mondays when they play Portland on Wednesday. But like you said, you never know with this team. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff, as always, from Chris, who noted on Twitter, I didn't realize this before I talked to him, that this was the, uh, is he coming up on, he came up on five years at the Star Tribune just the other day. So congratulations to Chris on that. He's been a valued guest on Daily Delivery. Um, I, I was his editor for a while there on the Wolves coverage as well. Great guy to work with talented writers so congrats to chris on five years at the star tribune looking forward to reading many more things from him and hearing many more things that he has to say on this podcast and beyond a couple more things at the end here finishing up with the cooler brian o'neill on injured reserve this is not great news for the vikings even if it was headed this way even if it felt like that was going to be the logical conclusion when Kevin O'Connell the other day said that his calf injury was pretty significant. Um, that means he's going to be out and unless the Vikings make it to the Super Bowl. He is not eligible to play this season. So that means you're starting right tackle. You're probably your best offensive lineman. One of your most consistent, um, healthy offensive linemen is not going to be in the lineup. You know, obviously not this weekend against the Bears. Obviously not for any of the whatever playoffs happen in the NFC, those would be three possible games that he would miss if they're lucky to get that far. And without him, hard to imagine them going on a deep run. You never know. Maybe Ole Udo steps in and has a, has a postseason run. But that is some tough news for the Vikings, who have had a lot of seasons derailed over the years. I detailed that on, on the Ramball blog the other day. Just how many seasons since 2016 have been upended by offensive line woes this year felt like it was different. They felt like they had kind of finally gotten some things sorted out, and now the injury news here really, really hurting them. So we'll see how that plays out. But a big blow for the Vikings, who are you know, still 12-4 and right now, a strange season, but not a lot of momentum right now as they go towards the postseason here in a couple of weeks. Finish with the cooler. Speaking of offensive linemen, this quote from a Buffalo offensive lineman really caught my eye uh, the other day in regards to his teammate, Damar Hamlin. Bill's left tackle, Deion Dawkins, on SportsCenter saying, 
quote, we are vulnerable humans. Our brother is fighting. We, we have just taken off all that armor and we're just human. We're united. We're united with just positive vibes and just positive spirits and positive prayer. We're all human and we try to be our best all we possibly can. At the end of the day, we are humans and we have families and we care and we cry and we're vulnerable and we have emotion and we feel the same pain that the regular person does. That's just a great sentiment. He had that on SportsCenter the other day. Just a great sentiment talking about his teammate, DeMar Hamlin, who, you know, had obviously we've, we know the story by now, had, had a cardiac arrest on the field Monday night the other day. And uh, just the, the range of emotions, everything that's going on right now with that situation as we wait to see if he's able to pull through medically and how that is going. Sounds like there was a couple encouraging developments on Tuesday. Sounds like his oxygen levels are improving. Sounds like he's in a better spot now than he was the day before. That's always a good sign when talking about a medical situation, but definitely still watching this as so many of us are. Speaking of which, I am planning to have a cardiologist on Thursday show to talk a little bit more about just what exactly happened and you know what what the situation you know how what might have happened i guess in this situation on the field and how the recovery process might look so we'll, we'll get into that more on thursday's show as well until then be safe out there don't don't go anywhere unless you have to it is not nice outside a lot of snow a lot of slick roads things like that so just be careful if you're going anywhere hunker down with the two three four five six past episodes of daily delivery if you missed them they're all still good they're all still relatively fresh not backdated we're all good here so Check them out, have a safe day, and we'll be back at it again on Thursday.